Last week, we started off a very short three-week series with a scripture that a lot of people don't like. I kind of like that they don't like it, honestly. They don't like it because it really seems like a bit of a cop-out. It it seems like some spiritual fluff kind of tossed on top of some real problems. People read Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, in the middle of the mess that the world seems to be in right now, and they struggle. The Word of God says in Philippians 4, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So even though it's unbelievably hard, in this short little series, we are making an obedient and biblically-based decision to get our minds off of the things that seem to be overwhelming us, the crisis that seems to be swirling around us, the things that seem to add up to 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 the conclusion that everything is wrong with the world, and we instead choose to put our minds on things above. I was reading a book in a restaurant this past week. A guy just dropped into my booth, and he asked a question. He said, Grant, what are you learning? What has God taught you in this season when it seems like the world has been falling apart? You know, I thought about it, and and I said to him this. I said, you know, in the middle of all of these very real concerns, God is teaching me one more time that this world is not my home. I don't belong here. God is teaching me that that I need to invest in what he cares about because that's the only sure investment that there is. God is teaching me that I have limited time here, that I need to make that count. He has reminded me once again that I am truly rich in Jesus. And that's the only kind of wealth that truly matters. He's also been teaching me how calm his presence allows us to be in the midst of crisis because God is in control. My friends, Jesus is both excellent and praiseworthy, according to Philippians chapter 4, which means we have every right to be able to get our minds off of what's happening around us and get our mind up on Him. You know, when I focus on those things, when I focus on Jesus, when I focus on the fact that every blessing that I have comes from the hand of Jesus and someday will return back to Jesus, then I can answer the question, what's right with the world? Last week we celebrated this is what's right in the world, that Jesus is in us. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Last weekend we saw 144 people unite themselves with Jesus Christ through obedience in baptism. It was an incredible thing to celebrate their life transformation. Somebody asked, did you actually clean the filter in the baptistry? Yes, I did. In Jesus' name, I cleaned out the filter. There was a lot of old stuff in there because new creation walked out of that tank last week. It was awesome. Jesus in us. This week, we're going to talk about Jesus through us. Colossians 3 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Jesus in us, Jesus through us. And next week, we're going to conclude with Jesus with us. He promised in Matthew 28, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let me say them again. Jesus in us, Jesus through us. Jesus with us, that truly is what is right with the world. This morning, if you've got your Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible, that's totally okay. We'd love to give you one. If you need one as a gift, we'll give one to you at the connection point. But you can also follow along in your outline or on the screens. 
In this particular scripture, we find that Peter's in a situation just like us. It appears that his world is crumbling around him. He hasn't pushed the panic button quite yet, but he's been staring at it all week. He's been looking at the panic button that's mounted on the side of his life. He's been running his finger around the edge of it. He's been thinking to himself, oh, it'd be really good to push that panic button because it looks like everything is just going to, to disappear around me. He's got kind of a nervous twitch going on, and he's probably doing what a lot of Christians do when they're in crisis. They lie. Because people come up and say, how you doing? I'm fine. Liar. (laughs) No, you're not, right? So let's find out what's wrong with Peter's world. Before we even get to the scripture today, let me tell you what's wrong with Peter's world. First thing is Judas has just flipped. One of his closest friends has just switched teams in the middle of the game. Judas all of a sudden goes Pharisee. I mean, he goes Sanhedrin. He goes religious leader all of a sudden. And I'm sure that had to throw Peter off. Incredible. And then in the middle of that, to add to it, his boss has just dropped a bombshell. His boss, Jesus, has just announced his imminent death. I'm just going to tell you, it is never good when your boss calls a staff meeting and says, I'm going to die. Now, some of you actually just stopped in that moment and went, I'm going to talk to you in the next series, all right? It's not a good thing when your boss says he's going to die, okay? All right? And then to make matters worse, Jesus talks to Peter, and he tells Peter that life is going to get bad, and he's going to crumble under the pressure. So you've got all of that background, and then this conversation happens next. Before we get to it, just so you know, Simon and Peter are the same guy, all right? Simon's his old name. Jesus changes his names to Peter, but he's going to call him by his old name. I'll explain it to you in just a minute. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. What is, what's Peter's answer to the crisis? What does he say back when Jesus says that? Scripture goes on, it says, but he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Here's the heartbreaking truth about this man as he dangles on the edge of crisis, much like most of us are in these troublesome days Peter is dangling on the edge, not only of crisis, but of denial. Do you see what he says? I'm not going to mess this up. I'll go with you to prison. I'll go with you to death. Didn't work out so good. Peter makes another claim. He claims that he will not fail. I'm not going to fail you, God. I'm going to be with you all the way to the end. But we know what happens, don't we? Peter fails. He fails. You know, I have a question for us on this weekend that I believe is worth our time and our consideration. The question's this, what's right with the world when crisis is close? Not when crisis is far away, but but when it's right there in the middle of your life, when it's camped out in your front lawn, what's right with the world when everything seems to be falling apart? What can we learn about God and ourselves when it appears that everything is wrong with the world, but we know still that the Bible has called us to focus on what's right with the world? What can we learn from Jesus and Peter? Well, I believe the teaching of Jesus and Peter's little crisis teaches us some truths. Here's truth number one. You can follow along in your outline. It's this, my God is aware of the crisis in my soul. I find it interesting. Jesus calls Peter by his old name. It's as if he's saying, Peter, you need to know something. You're going to fall back into old patterns. 
Some of your old habits are going to come back. You're going to revert back to some of your old nature. Simon, there's rough waters ahead. I need to warn you about what it is that's about to come. Now, the truth is, Peter, Jesus knows Peter better than he knows himself. And that's true for every person in this room. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. Jesus knows how big your panic button is and whether or not you wanted to push it this past week or not. Jesus knows if you were served divorce papers in the last seven days. Jesus knows if you got downsized at work on Wednesday. Jesus knows how many days it might be before you lose your home if things keep going the way they are. Jesus knows who's going to be in charge of our country on November the 5th. And just in case you're wondering, Jesus is going to be in charge on November the 5th. Just so you know, all right? Jesus knew the condition of my heart all week as I began to prepare for this message. Jesus knew how prone I am to slip back into old patterns when I get stressed. He knew about every anxious thought that rumbled through my mind. He knows how the enemy loves to play with my soul. He knows those tactics. He knows me. He knows you. He knows the person sitting to your right and to your left. And he knows them better than they know themselves. He knows and he has some comfort for us this morning. The comfort comes in the second truth and it's this one. That my God is stronger than my enemy. I want you to notice in the text it says, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. We need, to, we need to notice something here. Who's asking whose permission to shake somebody? Who's subservient to the other? Who's in charge? Who's in control of the situation? Who's on the end of a very short leash? Who's in the top box of the organizational chart when it comes to this conversation? Who is answering to whom in this particular exchange? Ha <laughs> ha. I love that. And you should love it. If you've got a relationship with the guy at the top of the org chart, it should do your heart good to know that the enemy, that dirty little rat, has to check in with your boss before he does anything. Here's the reality, though. Peter gets sifted. We all get sifted. I mean, think about the sifting process. It's a shaking process. It separates the grain from the chaff. It separates the junk from the good stuff. And the truth is we all get sifted at some point. Some of us are being sifted right now in this particular moment. The enemy of our soul, he sifts us with temptation. The temptation to try and handle the crisis by ourselves. He sifts us with fear, asking the question, do you really think God is in control? He sifts us with accusation saying, I don't think you've got what it takes to get through this crisis. He shakes us to the core of our being. But the truth is this. We serve one who is greater. We serve one who is stronger. We serve one who promised that he would never give us more than we could handle. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We serve King Jesus. And just when you think it can't get any better than that, he says, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, Peter, but I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. What an amazing truth there. My God is praying on my behalf. What does Jesus pray for Peter? Jesus prays that his faith won't fail. Now I want you to, I want you to remember something because it's interesting. Jesus knows everything, so Jesus knows how badly Peter's going to blow it. He knows about this momentary setback that's coming, but at the same time, 
He prays ultimately that his faith will not fail. He knows that Peter's going to crash, and he's going to crash unbelievably hard, but he also knows that a crash, a train wreck in your life, is an amazing seedbed for one of the greatest comebacks in spiritual history. He prays that Peter will sustain himself with hope all the way through this crisis and shaking. And Scripture tells us that Jesus is doing exactly the same thing for us this morning. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, my dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. What do you think Jesus is praying right now while our world seems to be shaking all around us? I believe he's praying that the people of Christ the King's faith will not fail. I believe that he is praying that in the midst of turmoil, we would become calm because we know who is in control ultimately. I believe he's praying that our trust will be in God, that our faith will strengthen others, and that if we should waver, that we will repent and return. Here's the next truth. It's that my God is giving me strength for the battle. Once again, he prays, Peter, that your faith may not fail. Jesus tells Peter, you're going to turn away, but I know you. I know what's inside of your heart, and at some point I know you're going to come to your senses and turn and come back to me, and the reason you're going to be able to come back to me is because I'm going to give you the strength to accomplish that. What does that mean to us today? It means this. If you've already lost your faith, if you've already hit the panic button, if you've already bent your knee to the fear of what is happening around you, If you've already denied the power of Jesus by running to the world to get some answers to what's happening in your heart, Jesus, just like he said to Peter, says to you, take heart, repent, ask for God's strength, but more than anything, come home, come home. It's number five, it's that my God knows my moment of weakness before it happens. I find it interesting that Jesus says to Peter's, when you've turned back. Because the last time I checked, in order to turn back, before that you will have had to turn away, right? It just makes sense. This is incredibly comforting to me. It's comforting to me to know that I have a Savior who knows me better than I know myself and that, that if I turn away, that He knows at some moment, in a moment of clarity, that I would have the strength and the courage to come back. He knows that I'm going to fail, but He chooses to love me anyway. Here's the final one. It's that my God restores the brokenhearted and the discouraged. The truth of the matter is at the end of the story, Peter blows it. Peter denies Christ. Peter gets shaken to the core and he fails. The Bible tells us Peter feels terrible. It actually says he goes outside and he weeps bitterly. He's brokenhearted over what he's done. And then he watches from a distance as Jesus suffers and Jesus dies. But then three days later, something amazing happens. Jesus comes back to life. And if you know the story, after Jesus has been raised from the dead as our triumphant Savior, He asks to speak to one man face to face. In fact, He calls him by name. Do you have any idea who it is that He calls first? Peter. Peter. 
And when they meet face to face, Jesus forgives, Jesus restores, Jesus calms. And when all is said and done, everything is right in Peter's world because of his relationship with Jesus. There's one more thing in here that I think is just an absolutely huge lesson. We just can't miss it. Verse 32, let me read it to you again. Jesus saying, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. What does Jesus tell Peter to do after he has fallen, walked away, and then returned? He tells him to strengthen somebody else who may be in the middle of a crisis now. You know, it's funny. Sometimes God meets us in those late night hours when we feel like our world has fallen apart. Sometimes He comes to us personally and gives us courage and strength and presses back the fear. Sometimes He comes personally, but sometimes He sends us a Peter. Somebody who's been where we've been. Somebody who has walked where we've been walking. And in God's perfect timing, they step into our life and they just pray for us. This past week, I'm just sitting in a coffee shop, minding my own business, trying to be low under the radar. Something must have been going on on my face because suddenly I feel a hand on my shoulder and I look up into a person's face who I did not recognize and the guy looked at me and he went like this. And then he prayed out loud, Jesus, I have no idea what is troubling this young man, but would you cover him and help him right now? And then he walked out before I could even say anything to him. The only thing I know about you is you have a very nice jacket. That's all I know about you. (laughs) I don't know if you come to say, I don't know who you are, but thank you for being a Peter in that moment. Thank you for risking your personal embarrassment and not giving a rip about the fear of man and just going with the Holy Spirit and what He told you to do in that moment. Sometimes God sends us to Simon Peter, somebody who maybe has fallen at one point, but now knows God's grace and wants to spread it around. You know, I've often said, that if it's good enough for Jesus, it probably should be good enough for us. It seems like in the middle of this crisis, it's interesting for us to know what Jesus didn't do. Jesus did not preach a sermon and say, here's four easy steps to overcome crisis. He didn't do that. Jesus didn't go into a counseling and therapy session at that particular moment. Jesus didn't buy him a gift card, give him something from Hallmark. It doesn't even say that he hugged him. Jesus didn't propose a bailout of any kind in this particular moment. You know what he did? He prayed. I think we should pray. I think if Jesus, in the middle of a crisis, would place his hand on somebody and just take him to the Father, that would seem like a very good thing for the family of God to do. So we're going to do something, and the truth is this. Um, I'm pretty much freaking out right now because I have no idea how this is going to work. All right? 
I'm a very protective shepherd. When the people of this family are hurting, I just want to cover them, protect them. Nobody gets close to them, no weirdness. We're not doing anything crazy. And I want you to know something. In the next couple of minutes, we're going to do something as a step of faith. But I'm a shepherd, and if I have to crook somebody, I will. All right? All right? A couple of weeks ago, we did something in one of our services, and God met us here. I asked that, that if there was somebody here who was feeling like they were being shaken to the core of their being, that they would stand, and then some of us just gathered around them, and we prayed. Actually, I prayed over everybody in the room. I think we need to go a step further. I think we need to risk something spiritually. So this is what we're going to do. In a few moments, if you jumped off the train at the part of the message where we were talking about being shaken to the core because that's you, in a couple of minutes, I'm going to ask you to do something incredibly risky and courageous. I'm going to ask you to identify yourself and say, I'm being shaken right now. And I'm going to ask you to stand up. And I know that's going to be really hard for some of you. But I'm going to ask you to take a spiritual risk. And then this is what's going to happen. I'm going to ask that two or three people would gather around you. And then I'm going to ask you to say one sentence. I need prayer for blank. Just one, one sentence, one word. And then I'm going to ask somebody in that group that has gathered around you to be brave enough to do what Jesus did and to pray for you specifically. We're going to let the church be the church today. Now, here's where it gets a little weird, okay? Prayers, let me lay down the ground rules. This is not a time for your personal prayer language. This is not a time for a word of knowledge. This is not a counseling session. This is not an opportunity for you to wax eloquent in any way, shape, or form. I want you to pray simply I want you to take that person by the hand and I want you to end up there with Jesus. So we're not doing anything weird. We're just being church today. And because Jesus sets a great example, I'm going to go first. I need prayer for courage. Because I got five conversations that I know I'm supposed to have this week. And the truth is I chickened out of them last weekend because I just didn't think I could do it. So in a couple moments when some of you stand because you're being shaken, I'm going to come and stand down here and I'm going to invite a couple people to come and pray for me. Because the only difference here is I got a microphone, you don't. That's it, okay? So I'll go first. So I'm going to invite you. Well, let me say one more thing about the prayers. If you've all of a sudden just said, you know, I don't know if I can do that, I'm not comfortable praying out loud and all the rest of that, if you've already made a list of 57 reasons why you shouldn't do what we're going to do next, that's God telling you something, okay? So, if you're here right now in this moment, and the honest truth is your life is just getting shaken, and you're scared, and you don't know what you're supposed to do next, I'm going to ask you to do something. Would you stand up with me? 
right now? Just stand to your feet. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. All right. So this is what we're going to do. Awesome. I'm going to ask three or four people to move right now and move towards them. Okay? Just go. Don't hesitate. Don't, don't, don't wait for a second. You're just going to move. And I want to make sure every single person that's standing has somebody standing with them. Because we're not doing this alone, okay? I'll be right there, bud. Awesome. Thank you. Did everybody that stand have, do you have somebody with you? If you don't, I want you to lift your hand up so we can get somebody to you. I got pastors around here. We got somebody there. Good. Sam and Felix and Mel are helping me out. Awesome. The person that needs prayer, I want you to finish this sentence. I need prayer for blank. And then I want one person in the group to just begin to pray for you right now. It doesn't need to be long. It doesn't need to be flowery. You don't need to, pr- to pray King James. You just need to pray, okay? All right? So you share, and then everybody, we're going to pray. And if you're sitting around, here's what you need to do. I want you to pray for those being prayed for and those that are praying right now too so that everybody is participating today. All right, family, let's be the family and pray, okay? done praying, I'm just going to ask you quietly slip back to your seat. Let's just keep quiet for those that are continuing to pray. Ask those groups to kind of bring that in for a landing. Awesome. I want to thank those of you that stood for your courage. It's nice to not stand alone sometimes. I want to thank those of you that prayed for being responsive. And those of you that received prayer today, can I promise you something? 
Someday God's going to call you to pray for somebody else and to be Simon Peter in their life. Nancy Terry, God bless her heart, saw me after the last service and she said, Grant, there was a lady standing at the back. I just felt drawn to her, so I went. She said, I need prayer because I've got cancer. Nancy smiled at her. She said, I'm a cancer survivor. God put her there. The perfect person in the right place at the right time. And those of you who prayed today, you were God's choice today. Good job, church. Way to go, sheep. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'll tell you what this means. It means we didn't just go to church today. It means we got to be the church today. It means we got to strengthen another brother or sister just by being in the room. It means we got to be obedient. It means we got to follow in the footsteps to Jesus of Jesus. There is nothing better than that. People being baptized and prayed for in Jesus' name, that's what's right with the world, my friends. That's the stuff we can count on, what we hold on to in the midst of the crisis. That's what keeps us calm. That's what keeps us marching towards the cross. So thank you for being a Peter. Thank you for being courageous enough to receive what God had for you today. And after the service, if you couldn't get to your feet, there'll be a group of people standing up here across the front who'd love to do exactly the same thing that just happened. The after service care team will be here to pray for you. What an amazing God we serve.